But I don't know, how many of you have ever gotten a prophetic word that you thought was going to happen that day or that afternoon or that evening or that week or that month, and then you've gone through that decade or something, and it hadn't, hadn't has that ever happened to anyone? Well, apparently, um, even prophets sometimes question God. And this is the prophet Habakkuk and in chapter um, 2. And um, basically what he's doing to the Lord and this is the second time, it's, this section is titled Habakkuk's Second Complaint. And here's what he's saying as he's before the Lord in, in chapter 2, in verse one, number 1. He says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me, that is what the Lord will say to me, and what answer I am given to my complaint. That's interesting. So he actually, a, prof- a prophet here actually complained to the Lord and didn't get killed. So that's good. So the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation waits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. And so the Lord just brought, just as I was reading this week, the Lord brought that passage to me and said, apply it to that other word. So that's, and I think that's true with all the words the Lord's spoken to us is that they're like promises and that, there is uh, timing and, and God's divine timing for it, and so we do pray in that. But I just encourage for yourself and for whatever the Lord's spoken to you and for us as a church that, you know, just the old phrase, the best is yet to come, and we can rejoice in that. Okay, today we're going to start a series that's um, going to be really different than what we've been doing. Um, there's no overhead projector with fill in the blanks. And if you didn't get, I have outlines, and the outlines basically are just pages that have lines on them so you can take notes on that. But what we're going to be doing, what we're going to be starting today, oh, in effect, is like an old-fashioned Bible study. You know, we're just, we're just going to kind of go through and look at that. And the theme that we're beginning, and today's message is really will be even a little different than the next few weeks as we work our way through this. But in today's message, it's kind of a preparation. It's laying the ground as we're going to be talking about the Beatitudes and, and the setting for the Beatitudes with Jesus and what they mean and what, they, uh, what the application is for us and individually and corporately as a body of Christ and all that's involved in that. And so we're going to work, be working there. And even today's message, as compared to next week, is going to be a lot more detail and just going different places and, and kind of tilling the ground to understand where we want to go in this. So I'd like you to start at Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. And the reason that I want you to be there is, is some time ago, not some time recent, but some time ago, um, a, good, a good while ago, um, the Lord spoke to me one time, and it wasn't just specifically about our, it wasn't specifically or even directly about our church, although our church would, would fall into that, as all would. But the Lord just was, as I was praying one day and before him, the Lord just spoke to me very clearly, and he was speaking about the body of Christ. And basically, this is what he said. He said, my body has a heart problem. And that's not actually an encouraging word, is it? You know, what it means is that if we think in the natural, when there's a heart problem, there can be everything from flutters to to just anxiety attacks, to physical attacks, and just just all over the place in that. And so what we're using is that as an analogy that the Lord had spoken to me. 
And so as, as really an introduction to the Beatitudes, I wanted to just um, start and look in chapter 15 and verses 1 through 12 as, as kind of our starting place and work our way back and get, get to the Beatitudes in just a bit. It says, Some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Why don't they wash their hands before they eat? Now, this wasn't someone that was just bothered because they had dirty hands. What they were talking about here was ceremonial cleaning. You know, that the, the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, Sadducees, all of these, that um, they had uh, tried to always do things that lined up with the ritual, with the law and everything there, and became literally more focused upon fulfilling the, the, the letter of the law than the spirit of the law. And so this is where that came from. And Jesus replied, says, Why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother. Anyone who curses their father or mother is put to death. But you say, If anyone declares um, that what might have been used to help their father or mother, in other words, if you have some funds or resources that you could, could give to your parents, and, and that's all a good thing. I'll have to be sure to send this message to Jason. But, you know, if you have that, that that's a good thing to do, that you that you honor that. And he said, well, what happens in the mockery that's here is that, that sometimes that what people do is that instead of um, giving what they have there, they nullify the word of the God. It says they nullify the word of God for the sake of tradition. And there's putting in there of where that they kind of opt, found a way to opt out of doing what the Lord wanted them to do. Again, they were following in some ways the letter of the law, but not the spirit of the law. And so Jesus goes down and, and says in verse 7, You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, and their teachings are merely human rules. And then Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. And there it was dealing with kind of kosher food and that sort of thing. Verse 12 says, the disciples came to him, to Jesus, and said, don't you know the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? And then it goes on from there, and he has a discussion with them about that. So, as I said, the Lord just has brought that back to me again in the saying of my body, whether it's our church body or us individually, or the body of Christ. I, have, I really feel like this is more a message that applies to the whole body of Christ that much of what we see taking place in the body of Christ now shows that there are unhealthy hearts because there, there's focus upon areas and embracing upon areas that if we went through Scripture, we'd see very quickly do not line up with what the Lord teaches us in our lifestyle and what we say and what we do and our attitudes and everything that's involved in that. And so the Lord would say to us that, that there are times that we have a heart problem and something that the Lord wants to do and to work into our lives. I just want to reference um, four little pa quick passages that talk about um, having a heart problem and, and how important the heart was to the Lord. You can just write these down. In 1 Samuel 16, verses 6 through 7, this was the choosing of David as king. Uh, 1 Samuel 16, verses 6 through 7. And in this, we see that um, in verses 13, 14, that it says that God looks after the heart. You remember the, the process of where the Lord had rejected the king, and so now he's, he's seeking for a man after his own heart, and so they go, and he brings, brings the sons there. The Lord tells them to go to the sons and to this group, and they go to that. 
and they begin to go through each one. And even Samuel, when, he looks, when they look and they see, they, they think, well, this looks like a king. This must be the king. And the response of the Lord is, you know, in paraphrase, it's not in there, but you could get this. It's not, you don't need to focus on what you see with your eyes. You need to focus on what, what is in the heart. And so he said, no, no, this, none of these are the ones, even the ones that look like they would be a king. And, and so they said, is there another one? And they said, well, there's a guy out, you know, out with a sheep. And so they brought David in. And when, when he saw him, he said, this is the Lord, because this is the Lord's choice, because he has a heart after God. And you see, that's, that's the cure. That's, that's the, what we need and what we're focused on. And as we go through the Beatitudes in the next few weeks, is we're going to look, about, look at and talk about areas that we can address our heart, our spiritual heart, address our walk with the Lord and, and some areas and try to deal with those. Because, you know, in the natural, we sure don't want to have heart problems, right? That's, that's something that usually gets our attention. Well, and so what I'm trying to do is get our attention in the supernatural realm, in the realm of the Spirit, that, that it's just as important, if not even more important, the way that we take care of our, our spiritual hearts as well as our physical hearts in that. And so, because as it says, uh, that God looks after the heart. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, you can write this down. Proverbs 4, 23, this is what it says there. Above all else, in other words, highest priority, guard your heart because it's the wellspring of life. In other words, when you say the wellspring of life, some translations say the issues of life come forth. It's almost like it says, above all else, guard your heart. Because that's where, that's where the refreshing comes from. That's where, where the, the water comes from and, and, and the presence of the Lord comes from. And so it's important for us to, to look at our heart and to see, is it hardened? Do we have a heart problem? Is there areas that, that maybe we have bitterness or anger or unforgiveness or hurt in that God wants to bring healing and, and, and for us in that? And that's what we'll be going through, as I said, in the days and the weeks to come. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 34 says this, Matthew 12, 34, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, have you ever, no, have you ever heard anyone say this? Where they say something and when they say it, you can see they're a little embarrassed and they're like, oh, I don't know where that came from, right? And, and obviously it was, they were saying something they didn't want to say out loud and whether it's critical or, or something else. But we know where it says, because it says, out of the overflow of the heart, in one way, and I think the King James used to say, you know, that, what was it, from the heart the mouth speaketh, or something like that. You know, in other words, that we can't say, oh, I don't know where that came from, or anything else. It just came as the Lord allowed it to come to show us what we're carrying in our heart, to show us that's there. It's not like, oh, well, that couldn't have been me. It must have been someone else that said that. It wasn't me. No, it's again reflective of the attitude that we may have in our heart. And then Ezekiel chapter 36, Ezekiel 36 and verse 26 says this. The Lord is speaking. I'm just going to turn to that one. Ezekiel 36. And I'll start in verse 24. It says, I'll take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. 
and I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. And I will cleanse you from all your impurities and your idols. And I will give you a new heart. Say that line with me. I will give you a new heart. You know, and I, I want to have a strong physical heart, and I want to have a strong spiritual heart. And I want to be known by that. He says, um, I will put a new spirit in you, and I will remove from you the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. And it goes on from there. So again, this is the heart of the Lord. This is what he's desiring for his body. This is, I believe that, that in our witness, you know, we, I believe that we're, we're pretty much in an impasse across so much of the nation in being able to express and demonstrate to those that don't know the Lord or don't walk with the Lord the love of God. We've kind of put ourselves in, in, a, in a bind of where we've got kind of caught up with being angry and accusatory and everything else. And, and we need to pray and ask God to show us ways to speak truth and love to situations that, that, need, that needs to take place. But we also need to demonstrate that the highest love of all is being able to speak to people the truth in love. And that's part of our problem is a lot of times we speak the truth in vindictiveness big word, right? You know, we speak the truth angrily or attacking or almost like self-justifying ourselves. When God wants us to have tender hearts, and I'm just so convinced that, that as the body of Christ in the days and weeks and months and years to come, whatever time God graces us with, that it's really important that we begin to demonstrate the character and the love and the heart of Jesus. Because I believe that it's not a matter of just programs or buildings or anything else I believe that what the lost will be, will be the, the bait that will catch the lost is when they see the love of God in the hearts of believers. And when they see people that aren't there to condemn them, but to love them and to bring them into relationship with the Lord. And to do that, it may cause us, it may cost us to be in places and to be around people and to do ministry that we're not as comfortable with. But God's called us to be willing to go out and to do that and to, to minister that as God gives us that new heart, that new spirit, which he, which he does to those that are born again. So let's turn to, to the Beatitudes, chapter Matthew and verse 5. Chapter 5, Matthew 5. Okay, and this is the introduction to the, this is the Sermon on the Mount. And it's kind of the, what we'll do is we're going to read through this and then we'll begin to work our way back. And all we're going to look at is just, uh, as I said today, a start that will continue to press in more in the days and weeks to come as we work our way through this. But Matthew 5, beginning in verse number 1. It says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and he sat down. And his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are you when people, and this is one we all have down, right? Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Now, I will just raise my hand to say that's one that, that bugs me. That's one I have trouble with, right? That's one that I have to deal with is that, that when, when these kind of things and accusations and all come, that shows and reflects to me sometimes the areas of my heart that need some tenderization. That's not a word probably, but anyway, needs tenderizing. It needs the presence of the Lord in that, that we have to focus more in that. And it says, um, verse 13, salt and light. You're the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You're the light of the world. And um, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. And it goes on from there because we've, we've com- completed, we completed there at 12, the actual Beatitudes on that. And so let's just talk very briefly here. don't want to spend too long because I know we've got um, tonight, uh, we've got to set up for tonight and, and then our service here tonight, so I'm aware of that. Let's just talk a little bit about these and look at these. First of all, let's do the setting. Um, Jesus um, has been ministering. He's been, he's been talking and, and with John the Baptist. He's been ministering with other people in other places and um, gathered his disciples together and... Um, John at this time has been put in prison and, um, and headed to his eventual death and martyred him for the Lord in that. And so Jesus begins to minister, and we actually could go forward, but we won't at this time, but he begins to minister and begins to lay out in word and teaching and deed about the kingdom of God and what's involved in the kingdom of God and all that's, that's taking place in that. And so, but for today, we, as this is kind of the introduction in chapter 5, and right at the top there, or minus right at the top, it says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had been teaching, the people were gathering, he'd already, already gone and taught at the synagogues, but now the people are coming, the crowds are coming. And so it says that he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. And his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Now there, there's two or three things about this that, that I think are important. Um, first of all, before, Jesus would have been teaching in synagogues because that was uh, basically a synagogue was like a local seminary or a local place of worship of where if, as long as you had like eight or ten Jewish males there, sorry gals, if you, had, if you had that many there, then you could have a service and they had a, a process of where if someone came in that they could be a guest speaker. And so there was opportunity that Jesus had to speak in the synagogues. And the synagogues were like, the seminaries of the day or the churches of the day of where they would talk and share and and so Jesus had been doing that he'd been doing ministry there but then as he does that and as he's healed the sick and as he's cast out demons and as as he's begun to release the kingdom of God the presence of God all that's involved in that as a result of that crowds begin to come and as the crowds come and they're all around him you know, they didn't have a PA system or anything like that or set up or overhead screens or anything. But as, as the time goes on, Jesus really wants to teach and impart to his disciples, to those that were closest to him, and he wanted to speak to them. And so this is the context that we have for the Sermon on the Mount. It says that when Jesus saw the crowds, he went on the mountainside and sat down as disciples came to him, and he began to teach. 
Now, there, there's just a few things here in the original text that are helpful and that I'll point out in just a few other places as we go through this. But what we see here, I want to just talk about the whole concept of Beatitudes and what that means. The Beatitudes literally means blessedness and happiness of being in this state, or oh, the blessedness of. And so even just the title that's used here speaks of the blessing of God and the refreshing of God and the love of God and the presence of God and all that's in, in, involved in that. We see that. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, the word Beatitudes literally means perfect, blessed, perfect blessedness and happiness. And it came from the word makarios, which is, uh, was used of an island at the time called Cyprus Island, and it was called the Happy Isle. And so I think that's kind of interesting when Jesus is kind of laying out his foundation for teaching that part of what he's showing us in the Beatitudes is it's like find your happy place in Jesus. It's like, you know, that, that this is a place of joy. This is a place of refreshing. This is a place of the Lord's presence that's involved in that. And, um, and, and it also mentions here the, uh, the Cypress Island that it says it was so lovely and rich and fertile that it says that a man or woman could go, need to go no further than to find everything they would need for a happy life. And so I think it's interesting, even though that was just um, from, from the language and the study that I've done, I think it's interesting, again, that it just spoke, speaks of the importance of hearing the teaching of Jesus and the importance of the Beatitudes and understanding what they mean and how they apply and how we're to apply them to our hearts and our lives. And it's interesting as well that Jesus was teaching and the crowds got big, so he went up on the mountain. And when he went, Scripture says, he went up on the mountain, that he sat down. Now, in the natural, I don't think that I would have ever thought much about that, you know. Um, if you're, that sitting down there would have probably been a, a, a thing to do at the point. But it's interesting because, again, in the original Greek language that's there, when it says that he went up to sat down, you need to kind of understand the background of, of rabbis or those that were considered rabbis. Rabbis were teachers of the word and, and such as Jesus was doing. But that when Jesus did this, when he sat down, the very act of the way he went up on the mountaintop and he physically sat down was a demonstration that this was the official teaching of a Jewish, as it were, a Jewish rabbi. In other words, this was, this was the same type of thing that, that sometimes we don't understand the, the implications of, of the illustrations that are being made in the Bible because we didn't live in that time. But basically what, what the Lord has shown us in this passage is is that when Jesus went to sit down, it was like sitting down in the professor's chair, one of the studies that I read talked about. And it was, it was almost like this. It was, it, it was as if Jesus, when he sat down to speak on the top of the mountain, is saying, listen up. This is of, high, this is of highest importance. Really listen to this. And why did he have to say that? Because he knew the heart of, of mankind and womankind. Because a lot of times we listen... And we don't really listen. Or we listen and we forget in that. And so Jesus, as he's there and as he's teaching his disciples, and obviously unless there was some kind of miraculous thing and a sound system, everyone couldn't have heard all the way down. There would have been some hearing in that. But this was specifically for his disciples, for those he was training, for those he was equipping to be the leaders in the carrying on of the kingdom of God. And then there was another phrase that you wouldn't, understand here but in some some parts of translations will have that he sat down and he opened his mouth 
And again, we think like, well, most people, if they're going to talk, they've got to open their mouths, right, in that. But this, this went beyond that. And what it was talking about here is when he opened his mouth um, that it was a phrase, again, from the Greek language that meant listen, listen up. Because it's, what he's saying is that what the person is about to say is of highest importance. And I think and that's all the Greek for today, so you don't have to worry about that. But it's of highest, I went to school for six years doing that, so I occasionally have to throw a little in. Highest importance. Listen up. This is important. He was saying that to his disciples. He was giving them the foundation for, so they could have a pure heart, an undefiled heart, a heart after God. And it was the foundation for as he would talk through these Beatitudes and all that was involved in that. So let's just go on and and we'll wrap up in just a little bit and talk about that. You know, as I said, the Beatitudes are the blessedness of being in the state and the presence of the Lord and all that's involved in that, what our attitudes should be. And that's the easiest thing I think about. What our Beatitudes are, tell us, is what our attitudes should be. You know, this is what the Lord wants. This is a kind of as we go through each of these in in the next few weeks, these are the kind of attitudes, these are the kind of heart attitudes, these are the kind of walking, living, demonstrating attitudes that the Lord wants to see in the body of Christ. So, so important for us to do that. Um, What our our attitudes should be, and they're also, again, focusing back to what I said before, on the condition of the heart. It's, It's, again, dealing with that. Literally, the Beatitudes also are the ethics and character and lifestyle of the kingdom of God. I'll say that again. The Beatitudes refer to the ethics, that is, what is, you know, what, what's the measure here, what is right, what is wrong, and character and lifestyle. And this is of the kingdom of God. And that in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and in today is often in sharp contrast with those of the world. Because we see today that even in, even in the secular world, and sometimes, sadly, even in, in the church world, in the body of Christ world, that when we look at the ethics that are there, a lot of times the ethics that, that come even from the body of Christ are very questionable, and they're not something that draws people to the Lord and the presence of the Lord. It's something that makes them wonder, confused, or angry, or critical in that. And again, the Lord wants us to to walk in ethics. He wants us to walk with character. He doesn't want us just to be a character, you know, and that. He wants us to walk in character. He wants us to, yes, read the word and study the word, memorize the word, and, and, and and tell others the word. But he wants us to do it, you know, that... That, that our biggest testimony shouldn't even be with words. Our biggest testimony should be with our hearts and with our lives and with the demonstration of what, what we, the way we respond, the way we react, the way that, that our everyday life is, that it can make such a difference in that. And that's what Beatitudes, as we'll see as we work through them, is calling us to that, to the ethics, character, and lifestyle of the kingdom of God. When Jesus came, he came proclaiming that the kingdom of God was at hand. The kingdom of God was present. And when he was talking about this, literally the kingdom of God means the reign or rule of God. And specifically in this passage, it's talking about the reign and the rule of God in the hearts of men and women and children. That's what it's all about. It's all about the kingdom. It's all about his reign and his rule in that. And again, this should be a sharp contrast with those of the world. 
In other words, if you lined up, as I said, if you lined up 20 Christians and, and 20 non-believers, you know, that, and, and not that we have competitions, but if you line that up, that just the character of those that are walking with the presence of God, there should be a difference even in our demeanor and everything about us. There shouldn't be haughtiness. There shouldn't be anger. There shouldn't be all the other things that are there. We should demonstrate. There should be about us, as it were, an appeal that people just come up to us and say, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I just feel like I need to, to talk to you, or could you pray for me, or could you help me with this, or help me with that? And again, that's what this is about, is putting us in position that we can do that. All right, the first one is poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, and that's the only one we're going to look at today. For theirs is the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the, the reign, the rule of God in our lives. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And this is not talking about monetary, you know, how much money you have or don't have or, or those, those type of things. It's interesting here because, again, and, and I'm sorry, it's another Greek, Greek area here, but there are two Greek words in the New, New Testament that we have for poverty. And the first one um, literally means nothing extra. Anybody, anybody been there, done that? You know, it's like we live in the nothing extra, right? You know, just, just trying to get everything done there. But there was another uh, Greek word for poverty, and it meant nothing at all, absolute poverty. And so while I believe that this would apply to both, I think that the focus that we have here is that, you know, that it's not just talking about nothing extra. It's talking about being poor in spirit. It's at the place of where we are just destitute, that we are so hungry for the presence of God, we're so hungry for the, the word of God. We're so hungry for moves of God. We're so hungry for, for the kingdom of God to come and to, to rule and reign in our hearts and our family and our children and loved ones and across our cities and nations in that. You know, in, in my prayer time, I just cry out to God for our nation, for our cities, all of that. It's just so, so important in that. You know, but, but that we come to the place of where that we realize that we are bankrupt without the presence of God. And that's a lot of what the Beatitudes is about, being bankrupt in that. So what's the meaning here? You know, it's in spirit. You know, we're poor in spirit. It's not a matter of money or resources or anything else. It's in our spirit. God cares about earthly poverty. And earthly poverty in and of itself is, is not a sign of spirituality. As a matter of fact, one of the things I believe that we have in the body of Christ was a phrase that, not original with me, but one that I've heard that I think applies us a lot, is that many times that when, we, when we're born again or we're filled with the Spirit, or we come into relationship with God, we come into relationship with the body of Christ, the community of faith, in that there's a phrase that I really like, and that's the phrase redemption, you know, like the song we sing, I've been redeemed, I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. But it's redemption, and the other part of that is lift. Part of God bringing redemption to us when we're poor in spirit, when we're hungry and, and just so ready for what he has, that, that redemption, that lifts us up. It lifts us up in his presence. And, um, and it's just it's so important for us to understand that, that God wants to redeem us, that he wants to, to, to bring that redemption. He wants to bring us to that place. Um, that we can can walk in him. It's interesting here when we're talking about poor in spirit, the Jewish understanding of being poor in spirit was this. No earthly resources 
So all their trust and hope had to be put in God. Now, that's pretty interesting because that came, you know, not from the Christian group that was out now, but this was just the, the religious Jewish understanding of the group that was there was that those that were poor or poor in spirit didn't have any resources. And because they didn't have resources, they had to put their hope and their, their, you know, their eyes set upon the Lord. There's many passages of Scripture that talk about that. Another thing in this whole thing of being poor in spirit is that we're conscious of our own spiritual bankruptcy. You know, sometimes I think the Lord just, have you ever had those, uh, we did a message on it a, a week or two ago, have you ever had the, the dark times, the difficult times? It's like, where is God? Where is he speaking? You know, what's he doing? And it just, you just feel overwhelmed. It's almost like that you're just, you know, everything is just closing in on you. When those times is part of the, the whole area of being poor in spirit, it's recognizing that. And what it causes us to do is to put all of our trust and all of our hope and everything in the Lord and in the presence of the Lord and to trust him, even when we can't see, even when we can't hear, even when we can't understand, to press in to the poor, being poor in spirit, because that poverty of spirit brings us into relationship with the Lord, because we see that our righteousness comes from Christ alone. But to understand, sometimes we, we, we feel like that, you know, that being poor in spirit means that we have to be good enough, or we have to, to, to do this or do that, and we set out those sort of things. We understand it's not so much doing as it is relationship. Again, it's a matter of what? It's a matter of our heart. The matter of our heart. It's so, so important in that. Isaiah 66 and verse 2b says this. It says, speaks of one that God esteems does this. The one that God esteems or looks to is one who is humble, who is contrite, and who trembles at his word. He says, Isaiah 66 and, chapter, and verse number 2, says the one that is humble and contrite and trembles at his word. Now think about that. I, I think sometimes think about the word of God and whether it's the, the logos, the, you know, the, the eternal word of God. And, um, you know, I think about it sometimes about, you know, about the word of God and how we don't, we don't really reverence or understand it or whatever and, um, and how easy, because we have such easy access to Bibles and that sort of thing. And then I feel really convicted because whenever I go home to be with the Lord and, and they, everybody opens up my cabinets, they're going to see lots of Bibles, <laughs> that most all of which I've written on and, and gone through the, through the years. And sometimes I almost feel like I need to have a season of repentance for all the Bibles because I just got a new Bible. It was on sale. And, uh, and it, it helps me because I don't see as well, and this one's bigger print, but it's not as heavy, so in that. But sometimes I just think, again, that this humble, contrite, trembling at his words, you know, that's what I wrote down, the number of Bibles we own sometimes, or do we just tremble at his word when he speaks, when he speaks the word of God? Or do sometimes in our heart we get so calloused that when we, God speaks to us that we just immediately reject it and say, ah, no, nah, that couldn't be the Lord. That couldn't be the Lord. And we and in that. And that's what poor in, in heart, pure in spirit is, is the Lord is teaching us how to trust him, how to that we can believe, that we can understand, that we can appropriate, that we can draw uh, to the Lord in that. I want us to look at Revelation chapter three. Revelation chapter three, if you have your Bible. 
chapter 3 and beginning in verse 14. Because I believe that this one ties in to blessed are the pure in, in heart. And this is all of our favorite church, especially since it applies to the church of today. At least it seems to. To the angel of the church in Laodicea. And so we could write that to the angel of the church in America. You know, or, or in whatever city, whatever state. I mean, they have polls about the states that are the Bible Belt and that sort of thing and everything. And, and, and it, I think that we are kind of more in that line uh, of the Bible Belters. But the sad part is, is that if you went past that survey and you started looking at lifestyles, I think it would be kind of scary to see that even though we might be the Bible Belt, that there's still, in so many ways, we're lining up with lifestyles outside of what the Bible has for us. And again, that comes back to purity. Well, here we have the church in Laodicea. As you know, that this was the end-time churches, and they have uh, different ones were tied to different churches, but they have meaning for us. It says in verse 14, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, and this was the age that most refers to us. These are the words of the amen, the faithful, the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. And he says, I know your deeds. Now, you know, sometimes that would be kind of right up front, whether our heart goes pitter-patter excited, oh yeah, or whether it goes, oh no, that's not good. Well, the truth is he does know our deeds, right? And he speaks to him, and these are not words of encouragement. They're not exactly encouraging words. He says, I know your deeds, that you're neither caught, you're neither cold nor hot. I just made it caught. You're neither cold nor hot. He says, I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich, and I've acquired wealth, and I don't need a thing, but you don't realize that you're wretched and pitiful and poor and blind and naked. Now, I mean, this is, again, this is not a prophetic, encouraging word that you want to get one day, right? But he's speaking this, I think, to the body of Christ. Not that it can't be changed, not that we can't uh, deal with it. I think that this whole passage is, again, tying into the Beatitudes and the pure in heart is that the Lord wants us to come to the place that we recognize these things, that we, we don't just kind of, uh, embrace them or go on or say, oh, that's not really us, it's someone else. And that we as the body of Christ in this age, we need to do that. He says, I counsel you, buy from me gold refined in the, the fire. In other words, he says, you need to pay the price. You need to give what's, what may seem in the natural to be precious to you so that you can see what this is. I feel like the Lord just gave this to me. That you need to, to give in the natural what it may be precious to you so then in return God may give back to you what is precious to him. Okay, now I've never uh, just came to me as I was sitting there standing here. All right, I want I want to receive what's precious from the Lord, and that's what He's saying here. He says, it says, uh, buy from me gold refined in the fire, so you can become uh, rich or, or wealthy, and, and white clothes to wear, so you can cover your your nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes, so you can see. And verse 19 says, those that I love and I rebuke and discipline, those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and he with me. He says, whoever is victorious, I'll give the right to sit with me on the throne, just as I was victorious and sat down my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, most of us have physical ears, all right? But even if we didn't, God wants us to have ears that hear. 
And, and every time I read this, you know, and if you go to the others, none of these were really good report churches in, in that. I think that part of what the Beatitudes are doing is pressing and reminding us, you know, not to be caught up in false pride because that's what the church of Laodicea had is they had a false pride. And it's so easy to have that. It's so easy to think, oh, you know, um, you know, we're God's chosen ones. We're the ones that are walking the walk or this or that. Or, and, and the body, we just need to understand that it's about the body of Christ. It's about having a pure heart, the purity of heart that we see from this parable and, and see from, from, from this passage. And we see as we look at the Beatitudes and that God wants us to do that. You know, we need to take heed to the Lord's heart individually and as a church in that and, and that crying out, God, give me a heart that's tender. In my prayer time, I pray that so much. Oh, God, give me a tender heart. And you know why I pray that? Because whether it's right around prayer time or not, sometime in my day, days, or weeks, I will find myself thinking something or saying something or doing something, and I just want to say, oh, God. I mean, it's almost you feel so convicted that you don't even want to repent of it because you feel so ashamed because you've, done, you've been down this road before. Anybody understand what I'm talking about? You know, it's just like, oh, Lord, it's, it's almost like you, you just, Lord, because I'm afraid one day I'm going to hear the voice of the Lord saying, who are you kidding? You know what I'm trying to tell him I'm repenting. But he doesn't work that way. He loves us. He wants to do that. So we need to take this to heart. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 16 through 19. I'll, um, I'll read it for you. You can look at it if you want to. But Proverbs chapter 6. Verse 16 through 19. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Okay, these are the things that we don't want to have in our hearts and lives. This is how we can be, you know, pure in spirit. He says seven detestable things to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Well, that's probably enough for us to work on this week, right? <laughs> right there, almost through their message here as well. But it just is a reminder again that, that these are the things that the Lord hates, and there's just kind of a list of the seven hates of God, you know, and all that's involved in that. He doesn't want us to have haughtiness. He wants us to speak the truth. He doesn't want us to, to shed innocent blood, whether it's physically shedding blood or it's shedding blood through accusations or false statements or those sorts of things. The Lord wants us to do that. He wants us to be people of integrity that are in that. You know, last week, and we're wrapping up with this, but last week as, as we were we're talking in the message there, and that message is available uh, in the back, the copy of that, and we, we are very quickly starting to fill up and getting our podcast uh, that Jason's doing for us as well in that. But last week, as we were in the latter part of that message, I talked about from Proverbs, I'm sorry, from 1 John 2.16. Then in 1 John 2.16, it talked about um, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And when we talked about this last Sunday, we talked about Jesus... Um, coming and going through the days of trusting, uh, through the, the days of, of trial, of where, of where Satan comes to him, and he comes and, and, and he deals with in each of the areas that Jesus is dealing with hunger, and he's dealing with thirst, and, and, and all that. He's dealing with um, 
the pressure to be someone, fulfill something, and everything that's in there. And then we have from 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, and I said this last week, was that what we see from that passage is that there were three areas that Jesus, in going through the desert and going through the temptation, the testing, where Satan came and tried him to, to get him to misuse Scripture and to literally bow down to him and to subvert his, his mission that he had coming. These were the three things, the three areas that Jesus accomplished in doing that, that allowed him to go on in his ministry. And they tie into this whole thing in the Sermon on the Mount as we're looking at today on that. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Jesus overcame these three areas in the wilderness where Satan was attacking him. Now, the truth is, most of us probably, and I would put hopefully, most certainly hopefully, are never going to encounter an attack from the level of Satan coming to deal with us specifically, right? I mean, that's just probably not something that, that we're, on the, we're on the level that that's our priority for them and that. But we do need to understand that when temptation comes and testing comes and all this comes, and as we're looking at and closing with this beatitude, we need to understand that, that part of these purposes that we're looking at is that we're dealing with the lust of our flesh because our flesh wars against our spirit in that. And that's where, again, we're talking about pure, pure in heart that the Lord wants us to have in there. And the lust of the eyes. It's just so many times we get in trouble because we, we let our eyes go somewhere. and we, we, What we see or we, we spend time, you know, that looking or this or that, and whether it's something that in so many areas, you know, with this, that lust of the eyes and then the pride of life. Jesus broke the power of those. He did that. And he fulfilled even the fall that took place in the Garden of Eden. We talked about that. So to, that's as far as we're going to go today and looking on this. And next week we'll, we'll go a little further and I won't be doing as much introductory stuff. You won't have a bunch of Greek stuff or anything like that. But we're going to press in because I really feel like the Lord wants to just work in us individually, corporately, and as a body, an understanding of Scripture and what it means and how to apply it to our hearts so that we can grow in the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for, your today. We thank you for today. We thank you, Lord, that you did come, that you did deal with those three areas of the lust of the flesh and lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Lord, that it just dealt with what happened in the garden and it dealt in advance of what the enemy wanted to bring again and even to be, bring again to Jesus. But Lord Jesus, you are victorious. You have, you have taught us and you have demonstrated for us and you're teaching us what it is, Lord, in these Beatitudes to have hearts and lives that are pure in spirit. Oh, Jesus, bring us to a level of purity. Bring us, Lord, to a, to a level of, of tender hearts. Lord, would you, would you touch our hearts? Would you refresh our hearts? Would you draw us close to you? That, Lord, that as the old phrase um, that I've heard once before went, that we could be mistaken for being Jesus. That when someone saw us, that what they saw was the love and the tenderness of Christ. Oh, God, we're so, at least I'm so far from that. Change our hearts. Tenderize our hearts. Give us hearts after you, hearts for your people. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.